At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Father God, we thank you afresh for this day of worship, for the privilege that is ours to be here. Oh God, you are so worthy to be praised. And I pray now, God, that you bless every person who's a part of this worship experience, both those who are in the sanctuary and those who are joining us virtually. God, bless every man, bless every woman. Thank you for the word that you're about to deposit into our lives. And I know that your word will not go out and return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. So I thank you that this word will save, it will heal, it will strengthen, it will lift, it will deliver. Now God, you get the glory because you're God by yourself. Let fresh anointing remain upon our lives. And then God, I ask as always that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Why don't you put your hands together. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. And again, I greet everyone, those who are with us in the sanctuary, as well as those who are joining with us through our virtual and online worship experience. I'm thanking God right now that your home has become a sanctuary. That room is a temple, and I thank God for what he is doing in your house now, all over the nation and the world, as you share with us in this worship experience. For the last two Sundays, I broke away from the series that I was teaching from Colossians to give particular attention to the idea of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But on this Sunday now, the Sunday after Christmas, I want to get back to this series in Colossians. We are now in chapter 2. And uh, there are four chapters in Colossians, and so I'm not sure how many more Sundays uh, I will be in Colossians, but we're not going to rush. We're going to take our time and examine the scriptures carefully. But I want you to join with me today in Colossians chapter 2, and of course I'm teaching under this theme, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word reads like this, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, least anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Why don't you just get a real good attitude right now and look at somebody and tell them, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need. Uh, let me begin this teaching today by raising a couple of questions. Uh, when you think about your relationship with God, is there a passion in your spirit concerning the gospel? And when you think about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you, is there an unquenchable fire in your heart? In days past and gone, when I was growing up in church, our foreparents used to sing, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget, no, never. Jesus, I'll never forget, no, never. In the words of our text today that serves as the basis for our teaching, the Apostle Paul uh, expresses a personal and particular concern for the church at Colossae. And when you listen carefully to the words of our text, you can sense and feel the prayer, the passion, the love, the hope, that he has for this church. The Apostle Paul, he, he has a kind of concern for them that is unmistakable. And as he expresses his concern, he provides for us a model for how we ought to think and what we ought to feel when it comes to the church of the living God. Listen carefully to the intensity that Paul speaks of his concern for this church. In verse 1 he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. This, this word conflict that Paul uses, it speaks of conflict or a struggle. It comes from a Greek word for which we get the word agony. So that Paul was saying that he was agonizing and he was fighting with everything he had for the Colossian church. But what is interesting about this statement that Paul makes in terms of his conflict, his struggle, his, his concern, is that he had never visited the church at Colossae. Uh, 
perhaps except for Epaphras, Philemon, and perhaps for a few other persons he had encountered in Ephesus, Paul had never visited the church of the Colossians. He had never seen these persons face to face. And yet he speaks of this serious and sincere concern that he has for them. What is to answer for this conflict? What is to answer for this agony and this concern that Paul had for the Colossian church? Why? did he agonize for them? Why was he so concerned about them? I want to suggest to you that the reason why Paul had such concern for the church at Colossae, it had to do with because of the assignment that God had given him. Those of you who are students of the Bible, you know that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. But Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. God calls Paul to expand the reach of the kingdom beyond the parameters of the Jewish community and through his ministry that he would make the gospel a worldwide evangelization mission. Paul would go all over Asia Minor honeycombing the land with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons why Paul was so concerned though he had had never met the Christians in Colossians. He was concerned because he understood that it was part of the assignment that God had entrusted to him. But then secondly, beloved, when you read this text, do not forget that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And so as one who was in prison because of his commitment to Christ, Paul understood what it meant to identify with the conflict and the challenges that Christians face because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood that the Christians at Colossae, that they would have to endure some difficult days and they would have to endure some trials and tribulations because of their commitment commitment to Christ and so his concern has to do with the fact that he identifies with the challenges that they cannot get around. Listen to how Paul speaks of this when he wrote to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 there is this interesting footnote that Paul gives to us about his ministry. Paul says, for we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul says that as he went about doing the ministry that God had entrusted to him, he says sometimes the difficulty and the dilemmas became so serious, he says it became a burden where it looked and appeared that he was despairing even for life. Paul understood what it meant to have to struggle and suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his understanding what 
what we have to endure because of our commitment to Christ. Paul was concerned for the church at Colossae because he knew wherever people lived, whether it was in Colossae, whether it was in Corinth, whether it was in Philippi or Ephesus, it did not matter. If you were a soldier of the cross, you were going to have to deal with some trials and tribulations. And I want to pause here parenthetically and suggest to you and I that you and I ought to have the same concern for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to have the same concern for the gospel enterprise that Paul had. And we ought to have it for the same reason. We ought to have it first of all because we ought to understand as believers in Christ that it is a part of the assignment that God has entrusted to us. Being a Christian is not just about going to church on Sunday and having a good time and then go home and then have nothing else to do with God until the next Sunday. No, you and I have been saved to help save others. And the calling on our lives is to go and make disciples of every nation. Do you not remember what the Lord said to us in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission? Jesus says to the disciples, after his resurrection he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me he says go ye therefore and make disciples of every nation baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I'll be with you always even until the end of the age now I know you may think that he was just speaking to the disciples but now listen have you considered the fact that he says lo I'll be with you always even until the end of the age well inasmuch as the age has not ended then that means what he said to them he was speaking to you and to me that the same commission that he gave to the disciples is the same marching orders is the same assignment that God has given to you and I. I got to go old school, Joe. I remember in days past and gone, the saints used to say, a charge to keep I have and a God to glorify a never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. They went on to say to serve this present age my calling to fulfill. Oh may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. Yes I am a Christian. I am a child of God that is serious about reaching others to Christ. But I want you to know that my passion for reaching others to Christ. It is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm a Christian. And I understand that God didn't save me to sit. God saved me to serve. I understand I would not be a Christian today. I would not be standing in front of you today if somebody else had not taken those marching orders serious. It was somebody that led me to Christ. And I think you, if you were to tell the other mitigated truth. You didn't come into the fold by accident. Somebody had to tell you about Jesus. And inasmuch as God used somebody to reach you and I, don't you feel an obligation? Don't you feel a responsibility that you ought to get busy sharing Jesus with somebody else? 
But then also we ought to be out witnessing and sharing others and we ought, we ought to have a concern for the church of God because you and I ought to identify with the suffering and the struggles of other people. Oh, beloved of God, we do not live in a spiritual bubble. No, we don't get saved and then we just stay secure in the sanctuary. No, you and I live in a real world. And the world in which we live is a troubled world. And God does not call us to play it safe. In fact, God says, I'm going to send you behind enemy lines. I'm going to send you where people are hurting, where people are crying, where people are struggling where people are suffering because I'm sending you there so that you can be an example of my grace. I'm sending you there so that you can let our hurting humanity know that there's a God who cares about them. And it's not just people who are hurting in society at large, but beloved in the church of God. There are brothers and sisters who are grappling with having been broken and bruised by the society in which we live in. There is never a Sunday, including this morning, that I ever mount this pulpit without the awareness that I'm speaking to somebody who's hurting somebody for whom life has made to cry I don't know what your situation is I don't know what your circumstance is but I never mount this pulpit without being keenly aware that there is somebody who needs to be reminded that there's a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole and I'm saying to you as believers in Christ is that we ought to be willing to identify with other people in their pain and in their pathos. The church is not a hotel for the righteous. The church is a hospital for the sick. We are here to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort, and to lift one another up and remind one another that trouble don't last always. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes comes in the morning and until the joy comes you ain't got to face it by yourself I don't know about you but I find great comfort in knowing that I got a church family that when I'm hurting I got somebody who will stand with me identify with me and tell me you ain't in this by yourself but then most of all as Paul was expressing this concern for the church at Colossae, most of all, Justin, he was, he was joining with them by praying for them. He prayed for them. And beloved, this is, this is where it gets real because now we're talking about spiritual warfare. And if you were to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 6, and I just want you to take note of verse 18. Now you're familiar with verse 10 through 17 because that's where Paul begins by saying that we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places which means that there is a legion or different levels of wickedness. And then Paul says put on the whole armor and having uh, put it on to stand he says keep on standing. And then you keep reading and he begins to describe the armor 
Now many of us will read about the armor and then stop. But verse 18 is one of the most significant verses you'll read when it comes to spiritual warfare. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul is saying that if the church of the living God is going to be strong, if the church of the living God is going to have power, then we got to be undergirded in the ministry of prayer and that's why beloved at the Canaan church one of our guiding principles of our ministry is prayer we believe that without prayer we cannot make it then we believe with prayer all things are possible we understand that God has entrusted to us an awesome assignment how would we think we could carry it out without his power I don't know about you but I need God I said I need God and I'm not going to wait until the storms of life start raging to acknowledge that I need him I need him every day I need him every hour I need him every second of the day and I don't need him just because of pain but I need him for purpose And so the Canaan Church, I've asked you to join me every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock a.m. for morning glory. And join me every Saturday evening at 5 o'clock for evening glory. It's only 15 minutes, but it's the most powerful 15 minutes in the world. And when we come to pray, we're not coming just to pray for ourselves, but we're coming to pray for others. And... Uh, You'll get the revelation when you find yourself in a predicament. When you find yourself one day where you're going to need the church to pray for you. That's when you're going to thank God for prayer. But I'm not going to wait until I have a problem in my life. I'm going to invest in others in prayer because I know one of these days I'm going to need somebody to cover me in prayer. And we believe that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Spiritual warfare ain't no joke. The devil is real. The Bible says he's going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, but if you're covered in prayer, well, he ain't going to be able to be victorious over your life. And you ought to thank God for a praying church. Yeah, there's some churches that are spiritually impotent. Paul puts it like this. He says, for they have a, a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. But God is looking for a powerful church. And if you want power, you got to learn how to pray. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. I want the power. Because I want God to use me to bless his people. And so I'm saying to you again, as I said, as we began this worship experience, that in my own prayer chamber, I've been thinking about this coming year. And uh, on Wednesdays in the new year, I'm going to teach all year next year about what it means to be a kingdom disciple. And then all of next year, I'm going to teach the men of our church 
about what it means to live with the power of kingdom authority. Because I'm telling every man in our church is that the men of the church, and this is not a gender bias kind of statement, but the men of the church ought to take their rightful place. And that is God is calling Christian men to be a priest in their home, to be a priest at church, and to be a priest in the community. But brothers, to be a priest, you got to have power. And to be a priest, you got to have authority. Your wife and your children ought to respect you and honor you because they see you covering the house. Brother, do you know how to cover your house? You'll not let the devil come in your home and then go rampage through your family. Brother, do you know how to bring your children up in the love and admonition of the Lord? Brother, do you know how to lay hands on your wife and pray for her? Brother, do you know how to be seen in the house of God as a man of God and then allow God to use you to guide other believers? Brother, do you know how to go to a street corner and clean the street corner with the presence of Jesus Christ? You got to have authority. Jesus says, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Maybe you lost the keys. But this year, we're going to recover them. So all year, I'm going to teach the men how to live with the power of kingdom authority. And all year, I'm going to be teaching the congregation as a whole about how to live as kingdom disciples. Because that's God's will for our lives, not to play church not to imitate church, not to fake church, but be church. But then, beloved, I want, you to, I want you to take note of the fact that Paul's, his, his primary purpose in this text and in this letter is that he wanted the Colossian Christians to be fully aware and knowledgeable of who God is. He says, in, he says in verses 2 and 3, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches to the full assurance of understanding. Somebody just shout, understanding. Amen. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both to the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I want to make sure that you know the mystery of God. I want to make sure, Paul says to the Colossians, that you know who God is as Father and that you know who God is as Christ because in them, in God the Father, God the Son, in God are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
That's why you ought to have a thirst for the word of God. What do you know about God this morning? How much of him do you understand? And whatever you know about God, I promise you, you have not plumbed the depths of his personality. I promise you that there's more and more and more for you to learn and for you to know. And have you ever thought about the difference it makes when the more you know about God, you begin to live it in your life? And all you got to do right now to feel me on this is just consider what your life was about when you did not know God at all. And then consider how you're living now based on the little bit of knowledge that you do have. Consider how more effective and how more victorious your life would be if you were to get serious about this word and let God put revelation in your heart because beloved you do not discover God whatever you know about God God has to reveal it to you so that's why when you study the Bible you got to do it prayerfully because you're going to need the Holy Spirit to cut the light on <laughs> Paul says, that's what I, I want you to know. And, and, and so, beloved, 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 listen, uh, what you know about Jesus and what you understand to, about him is everything. Uh, this, this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, you understand that Paul is writing a rebuttal against false teachers known as the Gnostics who wanted to say that they had a superior revelation of God based on mysticism and it was false teaching and as a rebuttal of that Paul is saying to the Colossians make no mistake about it he says that in Jesus Christ we have the full knowledge of God so that the theme of Colossians has to do with the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. So I, I titled this series, Jesus is all I need because he is all I need. So I got to ask you a few more questions. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you understand him to be? Because if you look at Jesus as, well, he was just, he was a good man. If you look at him as, he was uh, an outstanding prophet. He was a marvelous teacher. But he, he just got caught in the wrong situation. And he ended up being assassinated. And he died like any other man. If, if that's your concept of God, then perhaps, and of Christ in particular, then you, you don't have much to hope for in him. But if you see him for who he really is, if you look at Jesus and you understand that he is the eternal Logos, he was the word that was with God and was God 
in the beginning. As the old preacher said before, there was a when or a where or a here or a there. That he was very God of very God. He was there in eternity when God spoke the world into existence. If you understand Jesus to be the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. If you look at Jesus and understand that he was fully God and fully man at the same time. If you look at Jesus and understand he is the one who is omnipotent He's the one who's omniscient and he's the one who is omnipresent because everything that was in the Father was also in the Son. So that in Philippians, Paul says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, who thought it not too presumptuous to be equal with God is what we call the doctrine of the kenosis that he empties himself. And when he empties himself, he does so without losing one drop of divinity so that in Jesus Christ you have the one who could say uh, that he was hungry and yet he could say listen I've got bread that you can eat and, and the bread that I give you to eat you will be satisfied he, he's the one who got thirsty but he could tell others come drink of my water and if you drink of it you don't get thirsty anymore he's the one who could get tired but at the same time he could say to people come unto me all ye who are weak and heavy laden and I give you rest. He's the one that could get caught in a storm but stand up in the storm that he got caught and say peace be still. He's the one that died on a cross but wouldn't stay dead. Got up Sunday morning with all power in his hands. If you know him to be the one that's got a name that's above every name and one day every knee's gonna bow and every tongue's going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Then your understanding of him may makes a great difference in your life and then you testify like Paul I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me you got to be clear about what you know about him he's not the man upstairs he's not your co-pilot he's not your buddy he's God that's who he is. And he's the God who cannot fail and the God who never will fail. He's the one who's never let you down and the one that never will let you down. And Paul says, he says, listen, he says the way that you're going to get this he says, you ain't going to get this in a corner by yourself. You won't get this in spiritual seclusion. Listen to what he says. He says to them, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged. Verse 2, being knitted together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Paul says the way we come to know the word of God and grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God, he says we do it in ministry and in engagement with one another. That's why it's literally impossible for a person to say, I'm a Christian and don't belong to a church. Because nobody grows on an island by themselves. And God has never saved anybody to be a solo saint. He saved us to be in fellowship with him and to be in fellowship with one another. That's how we grow in Christ. I mean, the choir, the, the vessels of glory were singing this morning, didn't they sing? 
And didn't the songs minister to you? Aren't you glad that you could be under that kind of spiritual ministry where the songs are ministering to you? And then aren't you glad that the scriptures minister to you? Aren't you glad you're sitting under pastor or teaching right now and word is being poured in your heart? And then when you go to your connection Bible study, you go there and now you all are studying the word together. And somebody will say something in that class beyond what the teacher says that's going to bless your life and then God wants to use you to say something in that class to bless someone's life and then aren't you glad that you can be walking in the hallway of the church and somebody can say I'm praying for you brother I got you covered my sister aren't you glad somebody can put their arms around you and give you a hug and just a hug from a believer can encourage your heart they don't even have to know what you're going through but the fact that they gave you a Christian hug can tell you I feel like going on what I'm trying to tell you is God has brought us together for a reason and that reason is that we might encourage one another and strengthen one another in our walk with God and what God has joined together let no man put asunder let me tell you one more thing and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. And that is, just let me tell you about Paul's motivation. His motivation is given to us in verses 4 and 5 and I'm done. Now this I say, least anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That was Paul's motivation. And motivation has to do with not just what you do, but motivation answers the question of why you do it. Because the why is greater than the what. Not what I do, but why I do it. And Paul says there's two reasons why I was motivated to be concerned about the church at Colossae. One motivation was in the negative, and the second part of the motivation was in the positive. Verse 4 is the negative. Well, what is the negative? Paul says, I was motivated to minister to the Christians at Colossae. He says, because I wanted to make sure that they would not be deceived by people with persuasive words. He understood the challenge of the Gnostics who was trying to deceive them through a kind of mystical and philosophical teaching that would lead them away to Christ. And beloved, I want you to know that it is no different in the world in which we live today. If the Christians of Colossians had to deal with false teaching, if they had to deal with people who had the gift of gab, if they had to deal with people who were linguistics, they, they could put words together and they could be persuasive in their talk. You and I need to recognize today that we live in that same kind of world and that there are a lot of folk who are talking about God but everybody talking about God ain't talking for God and that's why you need to know the truth of the word of God. I need believers just to shout discernment 
Yes, discernment is like American Express. Don't leave home without it because you never know what you're going to have to deal with from one day to the next. And discernment is not something that is mystical. No, discernment is with being able to cipher what you're hearing and understand the difference between truth and falsehood. That's why you got to know the word of God because the devil's got some emissaries and they are dress themselves up as though they are emissaries of God when they're emissaries of the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says that the enemy will dress himself up like an angel of light and he will deceive even the elect if they're not careful. But you need to know the word of God. That's why Charles Spurgeon said that discernment is not just knowing the difference between right and wrong, but discernment is knowing the difference between right and all almost right. Uh, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, I was out, uh, just had dinner, was leaving a restaurant, and a young man that I have known before, uh, I ran into him, and, and uh, he said to me, he said, uh, Dr. Malone, he said, uh, who, he, he said, who is Israel? He said, who is Israel? And I said, who is Israel? Yes, that's what I want to know. Who is Israel? I I said well Israel was a nation it was a people called by God right they were a nation Dr. Malone and so if you ain't a nation you ain't got no identity if you ain't got no identity then he says you don't know who you are and all that there what he was really kind to driving at is he was really trying to drive on this thing about African American people and our identity in the Bible and and and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and really I think it was kind of an affront to the Christian faith, you see, uh, because some people want to think that Jesus is a white man's God, uh, but you know the Bible does not say Jesus is white or black. Uh, if you read the Gospels, you don't have any description of Jesus, you know, in terms of the color of his skin, so forth and so on. Michelangelo was painted to paint him, paid to paint him a certain perspective in the Sistine Cap Chapel, you know. But we do know he was born among the Jewish people. But we do know that, you see. But where I'm going with this is when he asked that question, you see, I think he thought he was going to trip me up. And I said, well, uh, Israel is, is a nation. They, they are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the patriarchal fathers. They were in bondage for some 420 years. But God sends Moses to deliver them out of Egypt so that they can now become the people of promise. And it was God at Sinai who said that if you'd be my people, I'd be your God. You should be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto me. Isaiah says that Israel was to be a light unto the nations. And then it is from those 12 tribes, Judah particularly, that the Messiah is going to come into the world. And then I said, well, how far do you want to go with this, you see? But because, you see, he ain't going to trip me up because I know the word of the living God. That, beloved, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm a pastor. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm a preacher. It's got everything to do with I'm a Christian. I'm asking you, if somebody confronts you, can you stand on what you know? Paul, Paul, Paul said, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want people with persuasive words to trip you up. Yes, we, we live in a society that is morally and spiritually bankrupt. Uh, 
We live in a society where people don't know the difference anymore between a man and a woman. We live in a society where the family is becoming disintegrated because we have lost the principles and values that give a strong foundation to the home. Yeah, those are the times in which we live. And we got to know what we believe. But then he goes to the positive. And the positive, Paul says in verse 5, he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul said to the church at Colossae, he says, when I think about you and, and what I've heard about the ministry that you are carrying out in the name of Christ, Paul says, I'm encouraged because of your consecration and your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close this teaching today by telling you, I thank God for the Canaan Christian Church. Oh yes, I say it without apology. I thank God for the Canaan Church, both the people in the sanctuary and those of you who are joining me right now virtually and online. I thank God for you because I know that I am blessed to pastor a church where there are people who have decided for God I'll live and for God I'll die. I know I'm pastoring a congregation of people who take a spiritual disposition that can't nobody do me like Jesus can't nobody do me like the Lord and every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before I understand that I'm pastoring a congregation where there are Christian believers who like the hymn writers say all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live uh, all to Jesus I surrender I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all just look at somebody tell them beloved in God that's why I come to church because I thank God for the church because it was at the church where I was saved it was at the church that I was spiritually strengthened. It's at the church that I'm loved. It's at the church that I'm cared for. It's at the church that I am reminded of the goodness of God in my life. Here it is the Sunday after Christmas. Here it is December the 26th. Ain't got but a few more days in this year of 21. But right now you all look at them again and say neighbor when I look back over this year I still have to testify that the Lord's been good to me that God took care of me in a turbulent time that God kept making a way for me in a painful predicament and every time I come to church I'm reminded of the goodness of God I'm reminded of the grace of God so right now beloved I think you ought to tell somebody that when I look look back over my life he keeps on blessing me I think you ought to tell somebody every time I turn around he keeps on 
blessing me. He keeps on making a way for me. Yes, I think you ought to look at somebody. Tell them, neighbor, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, don't take their hand, but tell them, neighbor, oh, come on, neighbor, and magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. If you ain't ashamed, why don't you join with me? Open up your mouth and just start shouting glory, 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 honor and praise be to our God and be to our Christ for the great things for the great things, for the great things, he keeps on and keeps on and keeps on doing in our lives. Father God, Jesus is all I need. I thank you for him and I thank you God for people who care about me I thank you God for a church that keeps me before Christ so I want to thank you God for the Canaan Christian Church we we are not perfect by any means but we are committed and we are consecrated to our Christ. Help us, God, to take this word today, hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against thee. And help us to keep going from glory to glory and from grace to grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.